We are live from the great state of Tennessee. I'm your host, Patrick Simpson, and this is Paranoid Podcast. We break down conspiracy theories, unsolved mysteries, a little bit of true crime, and separate fact from fiction. So another interesting story of the week this week. Former President Barack Obama talks, I don't even know who he was talking to, but basically um, he was on CNN or some place, and they were talking to him about the UFO sightings that the Air Force has had. Um, we talked about that on last week's story of the week about, you know, you had the, you got Navy ships that are surrounded by 12 um, weird unknown UFOs. You got Air Force ships that are were saying that they've been seeing UFOs move at speeds that their ship, that their airplanes and stuff can't move in. So the person I was interviewing asked Obama about that. And Obama basically says he wants to know the truth behind UFOs and says that the United States could have new religions if aliens indeed do exist. So there's only there's two options. Uh, I guess there's multiple options. But as you listen to him say that and you are a conspiracy theorist or think about UFOs or aliens, you can either. I mean, it's basically one of two ways. You can say he's being honest and doesn't know anything about UFOs, aliens, and really wants to know if they're out there, or he does, and obviously he's not going to say anything. But if you've listened to me on social media or on previous podcasts about UFOs, aliens, this goes above the president's head. Which, if you don't know anything about the CIA, FBI, they don't care who the president is. They're there long term. They're there for life. The president is only there for four years to the max eight years. So they don't get the because all these different crazy things that are going on that are, have happened. MK Ultra. The president did not know about these things. So if someone had to ask me, do you think Obama knows about UFOs? I would say probably not. But if somehow he's maybe heard some things without confirmation, I would say yes. I'm sure someone's probably made some jokes, and but they were actually being truthful. But does he like 100% no, like if it's actually a thing, I would say no, because that's like I said, way above the president's head. But he is correct. I'm not going to get all um, serious and religious, but I would have to say yes. If I mean, there is a church of Beyonce. If you didn't know that, there's actually a church of Beyonce. Like people, there's churches of Burger King. Like people in this crazy world worship just about anything. So if we are to find that we aren't the only people on this giant galaxy yes there would probably be people out there that would worship them and call them gods but we're not to that point yet once we actually confirm that there actually are other beings then my episodes will be more about that but we don't have time to delve into that we still got to figure out if they're actually out there first but it is interesting they said just to see how much things have changed 10 years ago 15 years ago but you didn't just have presidents just talking about stuff like this. You didn't have the Air Force just confirming stuff like this. Like, time and time is going on. It's becoming more mainstream. Like, President, or when he was president, Trump talked about it. You got, he said, he's talking about this now. You got Air Force doing interviews before they would have been shut up. Like, it's expanding more and more, and it's exciting. Now, some people will say it's a smokescreen or a distraction. But for me, I've been saying this from the beginning about how this information would never just be like, bam, come out in one day. It would always be a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And as you follow me, as we are now almost at the one year mark, you've been hearing me say this for a year that 
this is how it's going to happen. It's going to be little information, little information, little teases at a time to ease you into it. So, like I said, if you're not an alien person, you're not a UFO person, then just drown me out. But just keep it in mind, like I said, if we ever somehow get to that day, you know who was the one that was screaming and yelling about this back in the year 2020. But for now, we'll go ahead and jump into the actual story for today. So I've said something similar to this before in an episode not too long ago. But the saying that money is the root of all evil is usually pretty accurate. When uh, me myself, obviously, I've never had access to tons of money. I don't know what it's like to be rich. But you always hear the saying when people get rich, they're like, money doesn't cause happiness. And us regular people are like, well, I'll give me the chance. I want to experience it. I want to try it. Give me a chance to see if money makes me happy. But like I said, time and time again, they, people just tell you money does not make you happy. Um, why? First reason why? More money, more problems. Because you have family that isn't rich. And now that you're rich, the family wants money. And you feel bad for not giving them money. And then a lot of big issues, which we'll kind of address today, is just the fact that a lot of people don't know how to have money. If you grew up even in poverty or just middle class and you're handed millions of dollars, everybody's like, oh, well, I would start a savings account. I would do this. But a lot of people just don't, whether they don't know any better or just think the money's always going to keep flowing. You always see it. Um, MC Hammer, all these different people that are more rich and then ended up basically bankrupt. It happens all the time. And like I said, today's story basically kind of was the basis of it, which is nobody's fault. It is a mistake that people happen. That's things like that happen, but it is not victim blaming. But that is a major cause of what happened here. And this was a, this is not an unsolved mystery. It's more of a, it's a true crime type of thing. But up until about a year or two ago, it actually was an unsolved mystery. And we have a former NBA player. And growing up here in Tennessee, um, he actually played for the Grizzlies and was actually a pretty good role player for the Grizzlies. I remember him very fondly um, during his time with the Grizzlies. He was number seven overall pick, which we'll go into. But over the course of his NBA career, he made $55 million, which is more than likely more than I will ever make in my entire existence. But despite that, like I said, the family, they went through it pretty quickly. And after his time in the NBA is over, so there's no more millions coming in and things start to get hard. And eventually this, like I said, we'll get into more detail, but things go kind of spiraling out of control. And this man ends up dead in, I think, 2012. Um, originally we don't know what it is. Like this unsolved mystery. Was it a disappearance? Was it suicide? They honestly don't know at the time, but as always, most of the time when it comes to true crime, not always, but most of the time with true crime, the truth always ends up rearing its head out. And this one took nine years later, but time after time again, we always see that the truth always end up being revealed. This is the story of Lorenzen Wright. Georgetown 911, where is your emergency? 
So like most professionals in life, most of them don't just come out of nowhere. You know these kids are going to be special from a very young age. Um, and he was a basketball prodigy in Tennessee, um, basically from the time he was a kid. Um, he was a star at Booker T. Washington High School in Memphis, McDonald's All-American. If you don't know what that is, basically that's just the highest honor that a high school basketball player can get. And he was on the 1994 Parade Magazine All-American team. And he also met his future wife, um, Shara. Don't know her maiden name, but Shara, who we'll talk about later. He met her in high school, so they were high school sweethearts. Um, she was the daughter of his coach. Um, so they've known each other basically their whole lives. And he was highly, obviously... He was highly, highly recruited all throughout America, but he decided to stay local by enrolling at Memphis State, which is now just called the University of Memphis. But in the 90s, beyond that, it used to be called Memphis State. He played two seasons at University of Memphis, averaged 16 points, 10 rebounds over those two seasons. Then in the 1996 draft, he was selected with the seventh overall pick with the L.A. Clippers. So obviously he said it. Not all you are sports people. I understand that, but you understand. I assume you understand at least enough to know if you're the number seven overall pick in the NBA draft. That means you're technically the seventh best prospect in the entire world. So NBA doesn't just draft America; they draft all over the world. So that's a pretty big deal, pretty big accolade, and pretty good money from the very beginning. Now, he was not what we would call like an all-star or Hall of Famer, but being an NBA, being an NBA, I'm not going to hate, but just for context, said he was what you would call, what we would call a role player, solid player, um, played for a good amount, 13 seasons. Um, he played in 793 regular season and playoff games. Um, like I said, here being here in Tennessee, I saw him a lot during the Grizzlies time when he played for the Memphis Grizzlies. And he said he was a a, a really good um, player, contributor. He was, I said, I remember him being here in uh, Tennessee, clearly. According to basketball reference, Lorenzen earned, like I said, $55 million over his 13 seasons. But as I said before, despite coming with, coming with that much wealth, that much money, Lorenzen and his wife, Shara, were in financial trouble by the time his NBA career ended. So it's not like after it was over, then it just started going downhill. Like it was already kind of going downhill. Um, And then once he didn't get another contract in year 14, then they realized, okay, there's no more money coming in. We're in really big trouble. So the bank sought to repossess his home in Atlanta. And they had obviously other kind of debts that millionaires put together when they don't when they think more money's going to be coming in. So I'm sure just about everything they had was trying probably getting repossessed. To add into the fact that he had six six children, 
Um, I don't have any kids, but I do know that kids are expensive. I couldn't imagine having six. So like I said, they're really, really, really in a struggle. And like a lot of marriages, the financial troubles basically was the probably contributing factor to their decision to get a divorce a divorce in 2010. Um, they had already separated several times and got back together. But this time in 2010, they decided, okay, we really need to call it quits. Um, but that didn't help at all. Um, the money problems just kept getting worse and worse. Um, Lorenzen fell behind on child support and alimony. And then Shara would later insist that Lorenzen had affairs and had been abusive to her. She also said that he had been dealing with people that had ties to drugs, though Lorenzen always denied these type of things. But the reason why that is important is because what we're about to talk about. Um, one, I'm sure she brought it up to make sure that she won custody battles. But you'll see coming up why her bringing up his friends that are tied to drugs is so important. So I'm not sure when in 2010 they got a divorce, but the events that we're going to talk about was July 18th. So it couldn't have been too late into um, the year 2010. Like I said, we go to Sunday, July 18th of 2010. Lorenzen was visiting Memphis. Um, He lives in Atlanta now, but he was visiting Memphis to see his children and his visit included a chance to watch his teenage son, Lorenzen Jr., play basketball. Um, that evening, Lorenzen visited his ex-wife, Shara, at their house in Collierville, Tennessee, which is basically just um, right on the outskirts of Memphis. Shara later told the police that Lorenzen would leave her house with another person, a person she didn't know, and that they drove off in a vehicle she did not recognize. She also said that Lorenzen was carrying a box full of drugs and that he was holding a considerable amount of cash. Suspicious why he's just doing that in front of him and her in front of doing that in front of her and the kids. But that's what she says that happened. So shortly after midnight on July, going into July 19th, Lorenzen uses his cell phone to call 911. He spoke briefly with the dispatcher um a local dispatcher his whereabouts was unknown at the time but and he was unable to say where he was i'm assuming he was out in the middle of nowhere he wasn't able to say where he was but he basically screamed hey and then gd and then right after that you hear repeated sounds of gunshots and then followed by silence. And at this time, Lorenzen was only 34 years old. So out of the league was still plenty of life ahead. But all we have is that not much detail. You hear him scream at someone, you hear gunshots, and then that's it, just silence. So the police, based on the shell casings and the crime scene, they do their thing. The police are able to determine that two different guns were used to fire between nine and 11 bullets at Lorenzen. The former basketball star died instantly as he was shot twice in the head, twice in his heart, and twice in the forearm. Now, this is this is interesting, and so we'll dig more into this later, but the 911 dispatcher gets this call and does not inform his supervisor 
about the call. So this led to a delay in reporting of the crime and discovery of his body. Now, I mean, it's literally your only job. Maybe it was somebody on their first day, but you get a call, someone screams, you hear gunshots and in silence, and you just hang up the phone and did not report it to the dispatcher. It's not until after they started investigating that they were able to know this 911 call was even part of the evidence scene. So this kind of set everything back um, in the discovery and an investigation. And it's just super crazy and just weird, but like I said, we'll continue to dig more into that as we go on. So hours after the shooting, a neighbor of the ex-wife, Shara, noticed something going on in the backyard. So Shara and an unidentified male started a bonfire the same that same night. And it was a strange occasion to have a bonfire. Now, it does get cold in Tennessee. If this was in December, then it would make sense. Remember, this is July 10th in Tennessee. The, the weather that day was 93 degrees. And yes, it's midnight. But in Tennessee, at midnight, it's still 80 to 85 degrees. So why Shara and a guy you don't recognize starting a bonfire in July in Tennessee? That's what we're trying to figure out. Three days later after this, I'm assuming July 13th, Lorenzen's mother, um, I think her name is Deborah, she calls the police to say that neither she nor any other family members had heard from Lorenzen. And this is what finally started the multiple, multiple day investigation, which was your normal investigative stuff, interviews, speaking with people that he last seen. And this obviously goes back to the ex-wife, Shara who is obviously a key witness and because she's basically the last person that is confirmed to have seen him. So her home was searched with the search warrant. Um, and I don't think they found anything. Um, I, I guess I would have to say, no, they didn't find anything. I don't know what they would find, but there was nothing that was found. Uh, Lorenzen's decomposed body was found on Wednesday, July 28th, so a little over two weeks later, in a remote area near the near a giant popular golf course in that area. So, like I said, it's been 18 days in Tennessee heat in the summer, so it had been exposed to intense heat, rain, and animals. Lorenzen Wright is a Six foot eleven, two hundred and sixty pound NBA player. By the time they found his body, it, he was only fifty seven pounds. So, like I said, you're if you find the if you know anything about true crime, it's t the time days that go on that tick is just brutal to the investigation because, except like if it's out, if a body's left out in the open, you got vultures, you got animals, you got just the heat, the weather that is going to basically destroy any kind of evidence that you can get. So like I said, 18 days in the Tennessee sun is huge towards hurting this investigation. So the shooting, just like I said, doing any kind of regular investigation work, they say the shooting does not appear to be a part of a robbery. He was still wearing um, apparel that was very expensive. He was wearing a gold necklace and a watch. Um, Nothing was stolen. Like he had all this, he still had expensive jewelry stuff on. None of that was taken. So it's pretty obvious 
from the beginning. I mean, it doesn't take much research to figure out this has nothing to do with the actual robbery. It was consistent with a actual deliberate attempt to kill Lorenzen, and that was the only issue. But like I said, there's a multiple, it's just all just a multiple group of things that messed this up. First, you have the 911 dispatcher that doesn't report. So that delays the investigation because nobody's even looking for this person. The mother, while she did her thing, you know, but it still took her three days to call, which I mean is understandable. Um, the, the son, like I said, if they don't answer for one day, they're not going to call the police. But just from being natural, waiting, being patient, that's three extra days. On top of the fact, like I said, the body was outside in Tennessee weather, it decomposes. There's honestly not much that they can really do. Now, um, like I said, they I'm assuming going along with the fact they didn't find anything in the ex-wife Shara's home. So there's nothing. Like we know he was killed and it wasn't a robbery, but just because so many days had passed, there really was nothing at all. And the case went cold for the next seven years. No leads. No, nothing. Just seven years of basically silence. But as with always the case when it comes to any kind of true crime stories that you follow, the culprit, the person behind this, always ends up doing something to get caught. Just usually always. There are those times. There are a lot of true crime cases out there where the person just disappears off the face of the earth, doesn't do anything dumb, and never gets caught. But more than not, the person ends up doing something. So... We go back to the ex-wife, Shara Wright. So, like I said, we already know she has this bonfire at midnight, the same night he dies, in Tennessee heat. Then she goes on to the, I think she I think she went on the Fox Sports, and it was a pretty crazy interview. I'm not going to play it. But the uh, Fox Sports producer, Matt uh, Shire, he, he literally just straightforward asked her, did you have any part in Lorenzen's murder? Now, even if you're guilty, the natural reaction is to just say no or even act offended. How could you say that? How could you do that? Or just, I mean, just a guilty denial, no comment or something. But she pauses and then she says, quote, at first, I'm a wife, then I'm a mother, and thirdly, I'm an author. The law enforcement should do best to find out who's the killer. Now, I don't even know. That's just, like I said, I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube if you want to go listen to it. But it's just a super, super, super weird answer. Like, I said, I'm a true crime junkie. I've listened to a lot of true crime stuff. And they just say, no, how could you dare say that? I'm so offended. Just something of that sort. But she doesn't say no, nothing at all. She just says that blank weird statement and that said raised some eyes but the thing that really gets the eyeballs going is the fact of lorenzen had a one million dollar life insurance policy um that he did and that was a condition of their divorce so basically shara says okay i will agree to this divorce if you agree to get a one million dollar life insurance policy now me, like I said, again, that watches true crime, that watches so many crazy suspense stories. Yes, you should have life insurance for your kids and your wife. Like, you should. 
But if you're getting a divorce and you, this person just despises you and you're like, yeah, I need you. I will divorce you as long as you get a $1 million life insurance policy. That should raise some kind of alarms. But like I said, that was basically what happened. Now, the policy was paid a year after Lorenzen's murder because of the criminal circumstances of his death and the suspicions about Shara. Like I said, they didn't pay it out immediately. That's usually how it works. If the person does die, like if it's easily a car accident and you get it paid pretty quickly. But if it's under criminal circumstances and it hasn't been solved, then obviously the insurance company is going to hold out until they get an answer. Um, But the insurance policy wasn't even for shareable rights benefit in the first place. It was intended to benefit their six children. And basically, Shara was just the administrator on behalf of her children. So that was basically the agreement. Um, that they made. Yeah, you get the life million. You get the million dollar life insurance policy. It goes to her, but it's actually for the children. But they're underage, so we have to put it in your name. Now, once you think about this, which goes back to this goes basically with all those crazy lottery stories. A year later, she said she gets her million dollars. Within about I think three to four months, she spent all of the million dollars except for five dollars. And five cents. Now that is insane. I mean, it's just which goes back to their problems at the beginning while he was in the NBA. Like I'm, sh- I'm not gonna say she gave all the blame, but you blew all you blew a million dollars except for five bucks in three months. That lets me know that she was doing some crazy spending with his money. Now like I said he may have done some, but that lets me know that she is just a compulsive spender. Um, and the thing is, none of this had to do, went to things for her kids. She used it to buy a house. She purchased expensive furniture. She got multiple luxury cars and she went on tons of vacations, but not without her kids. So this was basically all for her. So after all this crazy spending happens, um, Lorenzen's father, uh, Herb Wright, um, sues Shara for, basically on behalf of the grandchildren his grandchildren her children basically suing her because the money was supposed to go for to them but she didn't so he sues her um the whole little stuff goes about that but basically they resolve the matter out of court and the kids are given um basically a trust that the money's supposed to go to and she's sheriff supposed to provide accounting statements to the court showing that okay the money is going to the trust and the things that are coming out of the trust are going to the kids and not for me um but she failed to do that also so like i said i mean there's just tons of eyeballs on her but said there's no like concrete evidence to put her on this so everybody's looking at her like okay this chick is super suspicious don't like her but we still don't have anything on her now, also around this time, Shara becomes more active in her local church, which is, uh, I guess, Memphis Missionary Baptist Church. Um, she was ordained as a minister, and she also married a local sheriff deputy named Reginald Robinson. Now, I know you definitely got to be my age or a little bit older, but if you're, if you're in my age range, then you know the movie The Best Man, where and I'm not going to go through the whole movie, but the main couple, the couple of main characters, 
basically has an affair and with his best friend's wife or fiance, and he writes a book about it. Why would you? And then he, he hands the book out for all them to read. But like, why would you write a book about it? And like I said, it is a movie, but stuff like that happens all the time. You got OJ writing a book called If I Did It. Um, just people, like I said, people that do stuff, like they just do stupid things. And Shara is no different. So she writes a fictional book called Mr. Tell Me Anything. Now, this book, like I said, it was fiction, published in 2015, but it centers on the life of a woman who marries a basketball star. Sound familiar? But according to her in this story, the husband is unfaithful and abusive. Now, during this time, not really important, but during this time, she leaves Memphis and relocates to Houston with her new boyfriend and her children. Um, so just it's just a lot. So it's just a lot of different things going on. But um, she writes a book. I don't know how popular the book is, but like I said, she's just constantly just doing doing weird, weird things. And like I said, a year after she writes the book, she, I guess, reverse sues Herb and says that Herb owes her money. And she said she claims that her late husband failed to make child support payments and alimony payments. So basically that money that was the court said was for the kids should go to her because she's owed child support payment. Now, the Tennessee Circuit Court did reject her petition to get that money. Um, like I said, I'm not going to go to the whole legal part of it, but thankfully they did because it doesn't make sense. Yeah, your old child support, but the trust is for the child. So why does it matter anyway? Um, but like I said, her and um, Lorenzen's dad are just going at it back and forth, back and forth. They went to more litigation in 2015, and then they went to litigation again in the Tennessee Court of Appeals in 2017. So we're getting close to the present now. We are now in 2017. And there's still just money going on, still money fighting going on. And on top of the fact that we still don't know who, or at least they still don't know, what actually happened to Lorenzen. So like I said, she moved from Texas, or she moved from Tennessee to Texas. Now in 2017, she relocated her family to Southern California, where she marries a man named Tim Robertson. So like I said, not that this is super important, but there's just a lot going on with this woman, like she just, like I said, it's just, if you, if you are a true crime person or you watch like a lot of suspense, you understand people like this, they move all the time because like I said, they don't, they're either all like they, in their mind, they're like, Oh, someone's always watching me. Someone's on, on to me. Like they're just super suspicious. So they just move, get a new boyfriend, start a new life. Like this is basically what she's doing she's just like every two years pick up the family go i don't like staying in one place at a time and so she's a very 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 suspicious person but again no matter how hard you try most of the time you can run but you can't hide and so it's a corny saying it's a but it is a true saying you can run you can try to disappear as much as you want but you can't hide because the truth always comes out 
So still in 2017, the fall of 2017, on November 10th, a gun was recovered from a lake in Walnut, Mississippi, which is about 45 minutes from Shara's home, former home in Collierville. So the ballistics linked the gun to the bullets fired that shot Lorenzen Wright in 2010. Three weeks later, the police in Collierville arrest Billy Ray Turner, a 48-year-old church deacon and a landscaper, for the murder of Lorenzen Wright. Now, four days later after that, Shara Wright is arrested in California, also on murder charges. So Shara Wright and this guy, Billy Ray Turner, had known each other for some time. And basically, the police put the story together that they conspired on two attempts to murder Lorenzen Wright, which is the other um, crazy part, basically. Um, they tried to do this before. They tried to do this one first time in Atlanta, but they failed. I don't know exactly what happened. But they tried it the first time in Atlanta and failed. Then the second time was, the unfortunately, the successful attempt in Tennessee that ended his life. Now, the third person, Jimmy Martin, is also to believe to have played a role. And basically, he was incarcerated on a separate murder conviction. And I guess he was just talkative. Like I said, it wasn't, he wasn't even arrested on Lorenzen's murder. He had murdered, he was charged on another murder and just started talking. And basically, he's the one that told the police the location of the gun. So, like I said, she was going to get off scotch-free. Like, no one was looking, I mean, she was suspicious, but she wasn't like the prime suspect. No one was looking into her or anything. But this guy gets arrested for another charge and then starts spilling the beans on the Lorenzen Wright case. Like I said, just as always, just the different weird things that happen that end up coming back to haunt you. And we don't know for sure, but I would have to assume that the Jimmy Martin guy is the one that was in the backyard burning the fire. Um, that's what I have to assume, but I don't know for sure. But like I said, it was a basically a done deal from there. Um, and on July 25th, 2019, Shara pleaded guilty to facilitation of first degree murder and was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Um, with the different probation, good behavior, all that stuff. I think she could possibly get out in like 2026 or something like that. But the max that she will be in there is till 2049. Now, the other guy, um, Billy Ray Turner, his case, I think just maybe recently got solved, but I know it got pushed back. His case was a little bit farther behind, but his got pushed back in 2020 due to COVID. And I know he was supposed to have a hearing on December 7th of 2020, and he never showed up, I'm assuming. So I think that had to be rescheduled. Um, I don't know if that's actually been um, set yet. Like, I think this one is actually still ongoing. I'm pretty sure um, I could be wrong. I guess I should have researched that before. But yeah, because of COVID and because he didn't show up to his one in December, his case, his trial is still pending. So this is, I think, the first one I've ever, true crime type thing I've ever covered that is actually still going on. Like I said, the wife um, is already serving her sentence, but where the person that we're assuming actually shot the gun has not actually been tried, but we assume that he will be guilty and I'm assuming we'll get 
life in prison, I would have to assume, and at least I hope. But like I said, it's not an unsolved mystery. Um, once again, this is more of a true crime type episode. It's a sad, unfortunate story. Um, he did nothing wrong. Even um, nobody really deserves to die. Obviously, obviously, there are some out there, bad humans that deserve it. But he did nothing. Said, I mean, from what we know, those accusations of cheating and abuse were not true. Um, it was just greed. That's all it was. Um, and the fact that like said when they got a divorce, she like said insurance policies are normal things. So we she denies setting up the insurance policy for the reasons of killing him. But like said, we've seen a lot of true crime stories before that this is the sole reason um, that people set up these insurance policies. And like said, it's sad. I mean, that is a whole nother topic. That's a, for my law type people is how we should handle insurance payments um, for life insurance. Should there be another process? Because we see this a lot. Insurance fraud is a giant thing when it comes to millionaires and celebrities. So that's a whole nother discussion that I'm not going to bore you with. But that's just something that needs to be discussed is how do we handle that? Like. If they're killed, like I said, if it's a car accident or cancer or something, obviously the family should get it. But if someone is shot like this, killed in boating accidents, different stuff, overdoses, stuff, suspicious stuff that has happened to some of these famous people, like it should be a simple solution. If they have kids, it should just go on the trust to their kids. And that is it, which I know sucks because not every guy that dies, their wife was not the person that did it. But there just has to be a better system to stop making this so easy to get away with. Like I said, she got away with it for seven years. If this dude didn't, uh, the dude that helped her didn't get arrested again and start spilling the beans, she would have got away with it. And as we'll continue to go on, as we move more to true crime type stories, you'll see that there are people that either are getting away with it, continuing to get away with it, or got away with it for 20, 30, even 40 years in some of these true crime cases. So there has to be a better way to figure this out. But like I said, not much to leave you with today. Like I said, it is a solved mystery. It's more just a true crime type topic for today. But it's just something to think about. Like I said, I want to be rich. I would love to be rich. I would love to just triple my salary, get more money. But you can't let it blind. Can't let it blind you. Except money truly is the root of all evil. And you got to be prepared for what comes with obtaining that kind of money. Like people don't like you yourself. You may be a good person, but you don't know. Now, hopefully nobody, you listening, your family, whatever, do anything like this. But just friends, co-workers, you like you're putting a giant radar on your back. Now, that's not that's not to say you shouldn't want to be rich. But just remember. Take every day. Don't take every day for granted. Don't live life chasing the next paycheck, chasing the next, making it big. Because, like I said, you don't know what's going to happen when something like that happens to you. So if there's anything for you to take away today, yes, we like money. We want to pay bills. We want to be rich. But just remember some of the skeletons that might end up in your closet when things like this happen. That is all I got for today. Really hope you enjoyed this episode. Maybe you learned something new. Maybe in a story you didn't know about. I don't think it's that mainstream of a story. 
especially if you don't listen to sports. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Patrick Simpson. As always, said, love it, the engagement, love the messages, love the suggestions. Please keep it up. Um, it never stops. It always increases. I'm always thankful for those that are intrigued by these type things. So please keep it up. If you haven't subscribed yet, press that button. Go ahead and subscribe. Um, subscribe on YouTube as we try to pick that up more. I know I've really been slacking on that. And if you're on Apple slash iTunes, just take a quick second to leave an honest review. Kind of salty that I'm at a 4.5 now, I'll be honest. But if you that's if you're leaving honest reviews, then continue to do whatever you need to do. But for those of you that actually do love the podcast, take a quick second just to add a little review on there just so that new people that are joining in kind of see some more honest opinions of the podcast. And we'll be back next Monday with a very new episode. My name is Patrick Simpson, and this is Paranoid.